Welcome to Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio. I'm Salim Sutterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Shula Jr. Edward, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Salim. We had a really, really eventful draft night. Not a lot of trades from the Bulls, well, no trades from the Bulls, but we had some really interesting picks that caused a lot of uh, debate among the fan base, and I'm ready to get into it. I think there's a lot to discuss there, but how are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, like you said, you know, the uh, the draft came and went. I think I would say most Bulls fans were pretty surprised by the guys uh, AK and, and company ended up selecting. Uh, so it, it'll be it'll, I think it'll be good to you know, obviously get into that and, and talk about all the guys that they that they added on draft. So we're going to we're going to talk about the additions the Bulls made in draft and kind of help us get more insight on these new additions. Joining us today is Spencer Perlman from The Stepian. Uh, Spencer, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, just what were your thoughts when you saw, obviously, with the Bulls going at four, uh, decided to take Patrick Williams, who kind of was rising um, as we got closer to the draft, on a lot of uh, people, draft expert draft boards, but to see him go at four was pretty shocking to a lot of Bulls fans. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, you know, leading up to it, we obviously saw the rumors that Detroit wanted him, and then there were some late rumors that the Knicks wanted him. So, I mean, clearly he was going to go somewhere in the top 10. Um, you know, him actually going four definitely took me by surprise. Um, is he talented? Like, yes, you know, there's no question about it. Is he worth a top four selection? And that's, I guess, kind of up for determination. And, you know, we'll kind of figure it out in the next few years. But um, like, I don't think it was a bad pick. I think it might have been a reach maybe. But if you like somebody in this draft, because nobody really had any idea where anybody was going, you now you take the guy you like and run with it. What do you think about how Patrick Williams fits into today's NBA? Because that seems to be the prevailing thought from Arturis Karnishevis that he's getting a a wing who can guard multiple positions, who's really athletic, runs the floor really well, high IQ player. And that seems to be the prototype of player that he wants to bring to the Bulls coming from his Denver Nuggets day. So how do you think... Patrick Williams fits into that mold with this team. Um, I mean, I guess I disagree a little bit in that he's, he's really going to be defending multiple positions. I, I think if you look at it in a pinch, he can probably defend, you know, maybe down a couple of positions. Like, you know, I, I definitely don't want him defending ones. Most twos, I really wouldn't want him defending either but if they're playing an oversized wing someone like Kawhi or you know LeBron um that I can see a little bit but even there he's not that light on his feet um you know most basketball players I guess when they're coming out of college you know there's always the joke that they skip leg day and they're not very strong in the lower body but Patrick Williams is someone who's like he's built like a tank um, and you see it in the way that he kind of moves. He's a little bit sluggish. Maybe he worked out, you know, maybe he did a little bit too many squats, too many squats. <laughs> just, I don't know, but, um, he's definitely, he's definitely going to be able to come in, I think, and play the four right away. Um, if his mobility improves a little bit, he can definitely play some three. He might be able to play some small ball five. If you, you know, squint your eyes a little bit and turn your head, um, just because of how strong he is and his length, um, 
but he does fit the modern four in that he can space the court. He can definitely pass. I think that's kind of an, an undervalued um, trait that he has that not many people might have realized. And he is a very, very smart defender. And coming from Florida State's defense, which is probably my favorite defense to watch in all college basketball, there should be an immediate translation on that end. Nice. So, like you said, you you see him as a, a power forward right away uh, coming into the league. Do you think he can down the road develop it, maybe play the three a little bit? Or do you think that's something that will always be an issue uh, depending on how he develops? I think skill-wise he can probably do it because he can play out of the pick and roll. He can spot up. He can attack off closeouts and stuff like that. Um the main concern is just his mobility. He does not flip his hips well on defense. He's not that light in his feet. So, you know, again, if he if he does improve the mobility and if he's able to get a little bit quicker, then yes, he I absolutely think he can, and that would make him a lot more versatile, obviously. But if he doesn't, he's probably just going to be someone who you can switch maybe here and there on defense, but not fully guard the three full time. What do you think about the criticism that he didn't, start at florida state so from that standpoint it's a really really risky pick to have in the top four even in a draft like this where there really wasn't a uh like a set draft order so what do you think Mm -hmm. about maybe i guess it could be viewed as inexperienced that he wasn't a starter at florida state and didn't average a ton of points but what do you think about uh, about that yeah i mean to me skill is skill so, you know, whether or not you're doing it, whether you're doing it in 30 minutes a game or 20 minutes a game, it doesn't really matter as long as you're able to show everything that you need to show. Um, I think him being on a more veteran heavy team probably pushed him down the rotation a little bit, but I'm not really concerned with him, you know, not playing 35 minutes a game, 32 minutes a game, whatever it is. He's, he's a smart player. And I think that's going to be what allows him to translate um, quicker than maybe something. So since the draft has gone, we've seen a lot of his workout videos popping up, um, a lot of open gym, whether he's playing amateur guys or other professional athletes. Uh, what would you say is, th- w- like, people that watch those videos get really excited, you're just seeing him handle the ball and do all the things. What would you say is things that you can take away from those videos and things to kind of just be like, you know what, this is an open gym, things like this are expected? Uh, I mean, so I haven't seen the the videos, but just, you know, my general concern, I guess, with open gym is that they're open gym, you know, runs and they're not really the most competitive all the time. Um you know, I, I guess that's kind of where I am with that. But if he's showing skill, he's showing skill. And it's not like he didn't show the ability to handle last year. It's not like he didn't show the ability to shoot off the bounce, um, you know, play make for others. So if he's showing that stuff, then obviously that's good. Um, if he's showing anything new that he really wasn't doing last year, uh, which off the top of my head, I can't really think of any specific thing, then I guess that's where I'd probably buy it a little bit less. Is there a player in this league who has a practical trajectory that for Patrick Williams that Bulls fans could kind of look at and maybe, you know, get some influence from? Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, so I hate comparisons. I try to stay away from them as much as possible because they're always taken out of context. But I think in terms of the skills that he has and a little bit of the mobility and just the IQ, he reminds me a little bit of Paul Millsap, not prime Atlanta Hawks averaging, you know, 20 and eight and, you know, four assists, you know, a block, a steal and a half, whatever it was. Um, maybe like slightly post prime Paul Millsap, mm-hmm. but that's still a rotation player. You know, someone who we've probably seen in the last few years, it's still a starter. Like he was definitely still an impact player last year um, for Denver. So stylistically and just that ability to space, the ability to pass, be on point on defense while not necessarily locking your guy up in isolation and space, but being on, you know, being on top of the rotations. I think there's some similarities with a, uh, a post prime Paul Millsap. I've seen you had post one of your videos um, probably way back in February because I was looking over the scouting report you did on on, on the Stepien, and you you pointed out his ability to uh, run the PNR at the four. Um, is that something you foresee him able to do? Maybe even as a secondary initiator uh, long term down down the line. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely going to be in his wheelhouse. Um, he wasn't asked to do that. He wasn't asked to do it that much at Florida State, but you know, if you're able to play the pick and roll, then there's probably going to be some translation there. It might not be at the high level that you know if he's just making basic reads, but Patrick Williams is making like high, high, like advanced reads. So those whip passes with the left hand to the opposite corner when he sees the defense sink in just a little bit, he would make. Um, those are reads that you really don't see that many people make, let alone 19 year old freshmen make. Um, so yeah, I definitely do think that's going to be something he'll be able to do. And I think actually him playing the four, um, and using him more as like a secondary creator, I think that's really where it's going to be unlocked. Yeah. That part surprised me. The more I'm, I'm reading about Patrick Williams, his success in the pick and roll, even though it was at low volume really surprised me. And that does seem really promising. I want to get back to something you mentioned about how, you know, Williams projects as a pretty solid starter in this league if he reaches his potential. And typically in a draft, when you're drafting at four, people have higher hopes than just getting a a good starter. Like everyone wants that franchise player or someone who they could at least, you know, squint their eyes a little bit and see it with. And a lot of people are having that trouble with Patrick Williams. And to me, that's fine. But what do you think about just the general expectation of the players in this draft and what fans should be looking for from them? Because to, to me, I think you could make the case that this really isn't the draft to get your franchise player, even though I'm sure someone will become one, but it's going to be anyone's guess who that is. But I think if you leave this draft with someone who is a good starter or a building block to a playing style that you want to become down the road, I think you can view that as a success. But what do you view about just the general ex- expectations for players in the Bulls range for this draft? Yeah, I mean, frankly, I was kind of surprised that they didn't take Denny um, just based on some of the stuff that I heard based on you know the reports and I guess the fit just kind of made sense there a lot. Um, If some fans, I guess, were upset about that, like that I could kind of understand, but taking somebody who you don't know for certain, obviously, because there's nothing known for certain in the draft, 
but that, that you have a good feeling can probably be an impact to a player who might not be a star, but is someone you can plug in for the next 10 plus years, hopefully, as someone who's not going to be able to be taken advantage of much on either end, who fits with Wendell Carter. And, you know, you can fit, I guess, with Laurie too, depending on what happens there a little bit, but then you're playing Pat at the small ball five and, you know, I guess there could be, could be a couple years of development before that fully happens. Um, but, you know, this is not the draft that there were 10 players who had star potential. Um, the really, like, you know, the, the only guys who I really thought actually had that were LaMelo. Um, I thought Pokashevsky had that. Um, Anthony Edwards, I guess, kind of had it, but I had a lot of concerns there with it. And then after that, it's it's varying levels of good starter. So, you know, Kyra Lewis, I was very high on. I think he has a potential maybe be like a low end all-star, but someone who you could count on as a starter for the next 10 years. Killian, I loved. Denny, I really liked. Okongwu, I loved. Um, but not everybody had that super high potential. So taking somebody like Pat Williams, who falls into that, that range with everybody else, where you can almost count on them as being at least a good rotation player, that's, I think that's a win. Um, I think maybe some fans have the expectation that because like it's the fourth pick or the third pick that that player has to be a star, but not every draft is the same. Uh, looking at the fit with the rest of the players on this roster, obviously you, you've established, you see him as a four, maybe a three down the line. Uh, do you think long-term wise he could fit with Laria and Wendell uh, if they keep both of them? Or do you see that you know one of these guys eventually will ha- be have to move if Patrick Williams is the long-term answer uh, for the Bulls? It really just comes down to whether or not Pat can play the three. If he can play the three, then you can definitely play Larry next to him with the four. You can obviously play Wendell next to him with the five. Um, and if Pat is able to play the three, I think that's great being able to fit somebody like Lowry in between two potentially really good defenders. Um, if he's not, then you should probably trade Lowry, play Pat Williams at the four next to Wendell. Um, and then, you know, depending on what happens with Zach Levine and uh, Kobe and Otto Porter. Um, you know, I guess you could just kind of play it by ear, but even someone like Kobe, who's probably going to be with the Bulls for the next X amount of years, he fits well because he's not that, that pure playmaker, that guy who you can really um, run everything through. And so I think having another plus passer at a big position is going to really help. Um, and plus, you know, next year is the year of Cade. So if Kate is able to go to the Bulls, you know, I'm personally a Knicks fan. I would like to see him with the Knicks, <laughs> but I'm also a Grizzlies fan because I'm part of draft Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think Cade would fit there perfectly too. Um, just Lowry might be the odd guy out. Well, Oklahoma city might already have everyone's first round pick. So who knows? Uh, they'll probably end up with all the, all the best players. <laughs> yeah. That's like in, when, they drafted Patrick Williams and you just read more about his defensive ability. I think that's the thing that got me excited is that if you play him at the four and you play Wendell at the five, I think you really shore up your defensive front there. And they're both really smart defenders and they both have so much promise there. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people looked at it, looked at that and said, OK, if Patrick Williams is a four and a lot of people are leaning more towards that because that seems to be 
the highest probability and we still don't really know of him being a three, then that means Lowry is probably like really on a short leash in terms of what he's going to do next year. So if we're looking ahead to what's going to happen next season with this front court with Patrick Williams, with Wendell Carter, Jr. Lowry marketing, uh, Daniel Gafford should be getting the backup sensor minutes. Do you think Patrick Williams is ready to, can he be ready to challenge Lowry Markin for minutes at the four? Or do you think we're still really a, a long ways away from that in terms of like an immediate impact? Um, I mean, to start the season, I would kind of assume that it would stay with Lowry because mm-hmm. you need to see how Pat's going to develop and you need to see how quickly he's able to adjust to the NBA speed. Um, but given the frenetic pace with which Florida state played defense, I don't really think it's going to take that long before, even if Pat's not starting, if he's getting like maybe, you know, 26 minutes a game, uh, 25 minutes a game compared to Larry, who's getting a little bit less. And then, you know, Otto's probably getting some minutes at the small ball floor. Um, I mean, I also, think maybe Laurie just might be traded because weren't there a whole bunch of trade rumors last year that he was on the way out it well he supposedly wasn't happy which was kind of weird just because like he was you know he was kind of making demands is like I don't know where he got the feeling that he could make demands but (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah he just wasn't happy with Jim Boylan um but apparently now with yeah exactly exactly (laughs) and now that there's been change with obviously the front office and the coaching, he supposedly seems very dedicated. He's talking about how he's going to, you know, how he's changed, you know, what he's going to do. He's going to come in. Obviously, everyone's pretty much, you know, saying the same thing. Wendell say you're going to see a different Wendell this year and so forth. So mm-hmm. I guess the thing with this roster, uh, to your point, is we have to see what this coaching, a real coaching staff, if they can get more out of these guys and who maybe you see something different from guys like Kobe who last year were kind of weren't really being developed as a point guard. Obviously he's not a point guard right now, but that's what, if you're going to draft him, you want to develop him to become a point guard. Uh, And he was just kind of going out there, green lights, just jacking up shots. Obviously Lowry wasn't being used right. Wendell wasn't being used right. Yada, yada, yada. So yeah, it's just kind of trying to figure out, um, with him to get back to Larry is yeah what his development you know trajectory is going forward and if the Bulls really want to pay him in the summer so yeah that's going to be the the big deal and and Lowry's Lowry's like role I mean obviously we, we know his long term future here is in question but I, it's almost like you look at this team now and I don't know if uh, AK is thinking like this but maybe long term he's looking at it and saying okay as we figure out the offense and try to get these players in who can play, make, who can shoot, who can do multiple things, it's probably more important that we can sure up the defensive positions with this team, with someone like a Patrick Williams, with guys like Wendell Carter Jr., guys that you hope that can guard a few positions on the court, guys who can you know cover ground really well. And I think the, the criticism with Lowry Markkinen, even when you get past all of the the struggles he had offensively last year and the stuff about whether he was relegated to just being a catch and shoot player is we really don't know what position Lowry Markin and guards on the floor because he, he, you can't put him at the five or it's just going to be a red carpet to the rim. 
you put him at the four, he still has struggles. So it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know what position he guard. What do you think about that, Spencer? Like, is he, it, in order for Lowry to succeed, we know that offensively he has to play better, but defensively, just what, what is the solution there long-term? I don't really think there is one. Um, he's, he's stuck between the four and the five and that's not really a good place to be stuck because as you said, you know, if you play him at the five, it's red carpet to the rim. If you play him at the four, he's defending in space and he's probably going to end up being beaten off the bounce a decent amount there. Um, you know, ideally he's just able to play enough of the four to where he's not a major detriment. And if Pat Williams is able to play some three, then having, again, two guys next to him who are really good defenders who can cover for him, um, that, that would help a lot. But if not, he's probably just, you know, a scoring big off the bench, which definitely has that value, uh, value excuse me, um, especially with his shooting ability, withstanding, notwithstanding what we saw last year, because I think that was just a major aberration. Um, yeah, it's the defense will always be a concern, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think when you look at, so especially the playoffs, is something that you always go back to and you wonder, okay, when would Larry really be able to play in like late-game situations? Because you look at the bigs that a lot of these teams are playing, either they're like hustle bigs that are good at defense or the, the all-star bigs, if you think if you, you think Larry has that potential to be an all-star, they're guys, again, either can are good passers and, again, they can hold their own defensively or they're like superstars like a joke. Uh, that's obviously not a reality for Lowry. But, again, we talk about the mold of big there. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm probably in the same line of thinking as you that it, it's probably not like a solution to be had. And ideally, if you can pump his value up and move him for an asset, that's probably the ideal situation. Yeah, I mean – I, th- I thought that there could have been a trade to happen actually with the Knicks. Um, like, you know, eight for Lowry and I don't know, like a future early second round pick or something um, or two second round picks. I don't know exactly what the value could have been, but I think, I think Lowry would have fit in New York. I think having Mitch's just Mitchness on defense, <laughs> I think that could have helped a lot. Um, it would have helped space the court. Uh, yeah, but it really wouldn't surprise me if he's if he's either traded or he's just relegated to being that volume shooter off the bench. But you know, him being a big that that still is going to have value. It's just can you can the volume be enough to where he's not going to be exposed with how poor of a defender he has been so far? Yeah, it was it was it surprising to you that I know every uh, I know every like period before the draft there are always a ton of rumors that leak and they leak for specific reasons because people want those smoke screens but was it surprising to you that there really weren't there there, teams were really not able to come to uh, an agreement on trades to perhaps move down in this draft like uh, everyone for the most part pretty much like stood where they were in the lottery and we didn't really see much movement there so we just got to see everything unfold as the uh you know, as their boards played it out. So, I mean, what was your were your thought on how all that played out? I thought there were going to be more trades in the beginning, but then 
as I guess I thought more about it, I realized that because the draft talent is kind of flat, there probably weren't going to be as many trades as I initially thought. Um, just because you didn't really know where anybody was going to go, you know, Halliburton was projected by some to go top seven or eight. He fell to Sacramento. Um, Vassell was projected to go top seven or eight. He fell to San Antonio. Okoro was projected to go somewhere in the second half of the lottery, which I frankly never understood. Um, and he went fifth to Cleveland. Um, you know, it was just, yeah, like I was surprised because the talent was the way it was, but at the same time, I wasn't because of the same reason and that you couldn't trade down and know who you were going to get. So unless if you were going to trade down and be happy with the pick, um, be happy with someone who you could pick while picking up a future asset, it didn't really make sense to trade down. So, so as we move on to our, our next pick that uh, the Bulls made in the second round, um, I think you were kind of high on him, Marco Simonovich. Um, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. But looking at him, I, d- I didn't know anything about him. It's, uh, even less I knew about him than I knew about Patrick Williams. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I was looking, you know, trying to find some information on it. It looks like he's a, a seven-footer, uh, has ability to stretch out uh, the floor, maybe play a little bit of motion ball off the ball, um, has pretty adequate passing ability for his size. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on him as far as as a prospect going in? Uh, obviously, the Bulls looking like they're going to stash him for a year and then look to bring him in, him next season or the season after next, I should say. Yeah, he's skilled. Um, I, I would have taken him above, like, Vernon Carey, who I thought went way too high. I would have taken him above – Isaiah Stewart, who I also thought went way too high, um, although I had Stewart above carry. Um, he's very skilled on offense. He can pass. He can shoot. Um, the only issues with him, I guess, are he's not the most athletic, um, and he is. He needs to basically learn how to defend. Um, you know, his rotations they've they've actually they've shown to be pretty good. Um, he doesn't have much length, but in terms of being in the right space right spot at the right time he's pretty good there it's just when you get him in space and mega b max had him switch a decent amount on ball screens he you know he looked like a deer in headlights he was bouncing his feet it's like someone taught him to be a boxer while defending in isolation which like you know you can do that off ball because then you're quick to move right away but when you're on ball you want to be on the front two-thirds of your feet you don't want to be bouncing up and down because it's hard to change direction when you're defending the guy, you know, at the point of attack. Then on um, in post defense, he again needs to learn how to defend. He he does like this weird thing sometimes where his hands are just kind of out instead of using like his body, his upper body, his lower body as leverage. Um, he does a pretty good job going straight up, which is nice, but he has to get more physical down there. He has to learn how to defend in space. And just, I guess going back to the passing a little bit, his passing highs are really high. Like he makes awesome reads on the short roll, but his passing lows are also equally low to where he can be passing out of the post, which, you know, it's stationary. It's supposed to be easier and he'll miss an easy read. Um, He just needs some development there, but in terms of being able to like do everything that you're going to want a modern big to do on offense, he's shown flashes, if not more than flashes, uh, 
over the last year plus. So he probably has a really high ceiling, at least as a rotational big, maybe a third or fourth big off the bench who can probably get you around, say, like 15 to 20 minutes, maybe on a good day and, you know, make some shots, make a few good passes, probably will hurt you a little bit on defense. But that's probably where a player like Patrick Williams comes in and can make up for some of that a little later. So, I mean, is is that a fair assessment to say? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I'd be shocked, I guess, if he's a starter just because of his deficiencies. Um, but, you know, being a role-playing big, I think you either need to be an energy big or you need to be a skilled big. There's kind of no in-between where you can be a 50% one thing and 50% of the other. It's, it's kind of like the two extremes. And I think he definitely fits into that skilled big um, position. And, you know, as you said, the Patrick Williams fit there is, is fantastic. Um, and I'd actually be pretty interested to see those two guys next to Kobe because you're going to have two plus passers. I mean, just the way that you do now with Wendell, except I think Simonovich is the better passer, but having like two legit plus passers at the four or five, allowing Kobe to play off ball a little bit more. So the Bulls took him at 44. Did you think that there was anyone else that they should probably look at? I think there was a couple of uh, guys that were uh, uh, people were expecting or wanted the Bulls to go with, and they were kind of, again, surprised that they went with uh, Marco. Uh, let me just pull up the results really quickly. Um, sure. Yeah, so going after them, um, I mean, Isaiah Joe, he was someone who I was very high on. Uh, I knew that Philly promised him. I thought the promise was actually going to be one of their earlier picks. So when he kept falling, I was, I was just shocked. Um, besides him though, you know, Grant Riller, I thought he could have been good there also. I think at that point, it's just the talent keeps falling. So even if the fit isn't perfect, especially next to Kobe, because then you're having two like non plus passers at the two guard positions. Um, it's not the best fit, but He's an incredibly skilled scorer, just kind of everywhere on the court. And then Paul Reed, um, him and Simonovich, I'd probably have had in the same tier. I think Reed's the better defender um, in terms of using his length and just cr- simply creating events. I think Simonovich might be a little bit smarter with his rotations. Uh, Reed was able to get away with being in the wrong place at the at the wrong time, but then recovering because he's he's long he had the quick reactions and all that stuff um and then the offense you know reads he's more of the the energy big where Simonovich was is the skilled big um so it just kind of depended i guess on which one you wanted a little bit more there but i don't think it was a reach i don't know if anyone's thinking it was a reach but i think it was i think it's in a sweet spot who was your favorite second round prospect overall that you could see having a like big impact on the long term? Uh, uh, Xavier Tillman. <laughs> He's uh, he was my favorite big in the draft. Uh, well, a Kongwu, I guess, but favorite non Kongwu big was Xavier Tillman. Um, I really just can't say enough good things about him. He, he's, I think he's the best short roll passer in the draft. I think he's the smartest defender um, defending big in the draft. I think, I mean, I, I think his like just statistically speaking, his finishing the paint was the best, if not the best, um, as a big like excluding dunks. He finished, I think it was 64, 63 percent of his non-rim 
uh, non-dunk attempts in the paint, which is nuts because he's not someone who jumped super high. It was just strictly touch with him. Um, so yeah, I mean, Xavier Tillman was probably my favorite second round pick. Yamadar was another guy who I liked. Um, Isaiah Joe, as I just said, um, yeah, th- those guys are probably the first ones that come to mind. What were your thoughts on Devin uh, Dotson, the guy that uh, went undrafted? Because I know you mentioned to me that you were surprised that he went undrafted over, I think, uh, was it Lee? Um, yes, Emily. Um, he looks like, I, I want to compare him to an a old Bulls guard that we used to have, a Chris Duan, kind of a speedy guard, um, not a much of a shooter, um, probably good defender, but kind of, you know, like I said, more of a slasher. What, what are your thoughts on him overall, and how do you see his turn, has his ability long-term in the league? Um, yeah, I mean, just as you said, I was surprised that Saban Lee went before him. Um, they're both downhill attackers. I think, I mean, not I think, Saban Lee is the far more explosive player. Um, I just think Dotson is kind of better overall. I think he was the better defender. His finishing, like he, he was a very good finisher. Um, not elite. He's not at that Grant Riller level, um, but he was still good in his own right. Defensively, I think Dotson is a little bit overrated. Uh, there were plays that he just looked kind of like terrible. Um, and, you know, that's, I guess, kind of problematic. But with him, the question is whether or not he can fully develop that jump shot. Um, if he can, he definitely has a spot in the league because he has that ability to attack the paint relentlessly and finish in the paint. If he doesn't, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I really like the uh, Devin Dotson pickup for uh, an undrafted free agent. And like just watching him in college, I feel like he can end up being a rotational player in the NBA for for a good amount of time. So overall, I, I know we don't I know it's hard to give out grades on draft night because there's so much still that we need to understand. But just from an early standpoint, what did you think about? the Bulls draft with Williams, Samanovich, and I guess you can include Dotson in that mix as well with it. Um, I'd probably give it, you know, B slash B plus, um, maybe a little bit closer to the B plus. Um, I love the fit at the four and with the fourth overall pick next to Wendell Carter. Like I think those two guys will probably end up being one of the smarter front courts in basketball for however long they're paired together. Um, again, I like the Simonovich pick. I think, I think given Karnasovic's pension for like finding those overseas guys, you know, coming from Denver where he saw Jokic, um, maybe he saw some similarities there and I'm not saying they're the same player because they're not comparing anybody to someone as obscenely skilled as Jokic is, is kind of ridiculous, but you know, they're both tall bigs who have questionable defensive issues, but they're both skilled. So maybe he saw something there and then the Dotson pickup, he shouldn't have gone undrafted. <laughs> um, so that's just like, a, it's a good value pick. It's a, it's maybe like a slight reach with the first one. It's a good value pick with the second one. It's good value pickup as an undrafted free agent. So yeah, probably like B plus. I'll give it to B plus. Who do you, who do you think in this draft? What was just kind of looking at it overall? 
uh, in the first round in particular. Um, are you probably the most highest on, and you think that will end up being, you know, the guy that people regret, you know, passing? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Pokashevsky is just very, very, very skilled. Um, like he's, he truly is a unicorn in that he's kind of positionless on offense. Cause he moves like someone who's five inches shorter. He, they have it running off screens. He's playmaking out of the pick and roll as both the initiator and as the screener. Um, and he's a pretty smart defender. He just needs to get the effort level up and get him a little bit stronger. I think Kyra Lewis falling to 13 was like, shouldn't have happened. It's another one of those things that shouldn't have happened. I think Jalen Smith actually going 10 is going to be something Phoenix will regret, especially with Kyra still on the board. You could have had Kyra play behind Chris Paul for a couple of years and then Paul would leave. And now you have your starting point guard. Um, but I mean, outside of the lotto guys, uh, Malachi Flynn, he's someone who I think can come in day one and be an impact player on defense. And he can definitely shoot the ball and finish uh, super smart. And then Desmond Bain, like he was available 21. I mean, you know, he, he felt a 30. So every team above him could have picked him, but someone like, you know, he would have fit in perfectly with Dallas. He would have fit in perfectly with Philadelphia, especially in the half court also where they needed some secondary playmaking. When the Knicks picked quickly over him, I was pissed. I don't think that should have happened. Um, but I think Des is another, another guy who people are going to be like, I can't believe he fell to 30 when in the redraft, he like he would have gone much, much higher. So with the Bulls wrapping up this draft class and free agency has started, the Bulls really don't have any cap space, so they've just been using uh, just all of their over-the-cap exceptions, mid-level exception. I think they have the biannual. So uh, right now they uh, signed Garrett Temple to a one-year deal uh, last night. They uh, Denzel Valentine signed the, uh, signed the qualifying offer uh, today. And uh, former Bull Chris Dunn, uh, just a – short while ago signed a two-year deal with the Atlanta Hawks so uh there's been some moves that the that's been happening for Bulls even though kind of really just low-key type of moves uh how do you view this upcoming season for the Bulls like is this a is this a maybe just kind of like a, a learning year as Karnishevis and Eversley and Donovan try to get familiar with this roster try to see what the new player development staff can do with this team or do you think this is a season where they should be expecting uh more in terms of wins and losses i i don't know how you would view this roster going forward like it's it, it doesn't seem like a clear playoff team yet it's not really a team that's tanking either so like how do you view this upcoming season for Bulls? yeah um I mean, I guess if, if everything goes right, they might be able to play in for one of the final couple of playoff spots in that round robin uh, tournament they have, uh, they're, they're going to have. Um, I don't see them being one of the top six teams, though. I think it would be that seven, eight, nine, ten, 10. Um, and that's kind of like best case scenario. I think it's more of a developmental year, um, just kind of seeing – what they have in terms of fit with Larry, with Pat Williams, with Kobe, with Wendell, with everybody. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Zach Levine. He's another guy who I think kind of nobody would be that surprised if he's traded midway through the year. Um, but like, you know, if I'm, if I'm the Bulls, what I'm focusing on is I'm really trying to develop the core guys who I know for certain are a piece going forward and then trying to figure out 
whether or not Larry will be here. Um, so I'd probably put the under on like 32 wins and 30, yeah, 32, 33 wins would probably be the best case scenario. But frankly, like I'm more interested in watching, watching guys develop and not making a playoff push when it serves no purpose. Um, so I like, honestly, I'd be much happier with like, like a 20 win team that's going to get a high pick, but you see clear development from, from Pat Williams, from Wendell Carter, from Kobe, from like everyone who will be the core, um, than just trying to make a meaningless playoff push for, you know, a couple of extra dollars in the owner's pockets. I have a, I have kind of a random fun question. Um, you are a Knicks fan, so I, I figured I'd ask you. Bulls and Knicks obviously have a past history of a, of, a, of a rivalry and kind of heated, you know, with with hating each other's teams and kind of gotten in, both teams have really gotten into irrelevancy as far as really being a, a teams to really consider uh, as far as having you know watchfulness of. of the a league around the league. Do you still view the Bulls as like as a Knicks fan? It's like, well, I don't, I hate the Bulls, or is this kind of like, you know, I really don't pay attention because neither team is good right now, and there's really no point of wasting time on or energy on something like that. I never had that disdain that like other Knicks fans had because, like, you know, when I was growing up, it was more towards the back end of Michael Jordan's career, so I never got the Patrick Ewing, Michael Jordan, you know animosity or the uh you know the fights with like whoever just like that physicalness um the only team in the nba who i really just don't want the knicks to lose to like if they were to go like you know in an 82 game season if they were to only beat one team and lose every single other game i'd only want them to beat the nets (laughs) the nets okay you know it's funny i that i that rivalry makes sense because obviously in the same town um, as far as the Bulls and Knicks are concerned, you know, I never hated Patrick Ewing. I I always thought he was a likable guy. The only player on the Knicks I absolutely hated, and to this day I still don't like, is John Starks. That's the only guy I don't like on, on the Knicks. Outside of that, I never really had a an issue as far as as players. It was just kind of a thing where it was like, you know, it's it, it's a heated competition happens, and you just always like rooting for your team, and and it's all in fun, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you'll find some Nick fans who still don't forgive John Starks for going three for 18. So I'm sure you're not alone there. <laughs> I mean, that's, you, you got to remember, that's former Chicago Bull John Starks. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Like, he was on the Bulls for like five games or something like that. I can't remember. I, think, yeah. I remember him getting like booed and then che- they cheered for him for like a split second. It was just really weird seeing him in a Bulls jersey. Yeah, that's one of the... Uh, that's still one of the crazier things you ever see when people talk about like Jordan and the Wizards and all those over like wash, you know, jersey swaps. Starks in Chicago is definitely up there. And I still for for me, I still don't understand why people say John Starks dunked on Michael Jordan. Like Jordan pops up like in the last the second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like to the side there. I don't know either. Yeah, it's funny, but Anyways, you know, as we come close to wrapping up this episode, uh, Spencer, do you have any final thoughts on the draft? And obviously, please let our listeners know where they can follow you and any work that you have you be you'll be doing that you know to look out for. Um, yeah, I mean, just a general plea for Bulls fan is to like, like don't get wrapped up over who they pick. 
the minutes played, you know, him not being a potential superstar, the two way impact guys are the guys you want on your team if they're not a superstar. And in a draft like this at four, you probably weren't getting that superstar. So like Pat Williams, I really just like implore everyone go back, see if you could find a couple of Pat Williams games somewhere, you know, on YouTube or watch ESPN or something. He's really skilled. He's very smart. Um, and he competes and I like, I'd want that on my team. That's for sure. Um, just don't get caught up in the whole, he's not LaMelo thing or he's not insert player X, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at SK Perlman and I'm not entirely sure what's going to be happening going forward with like scouting reports and stuff like that, but I hope to continue posting videos. Um, all the scouting reports from the past season, including I have one on Simonovic. I have another one on Pat Williams. They're up at the Stepien. So you know, definitely check those out. Um, but yeah, thank, thanks so much for having me. No, I appreciate yeah, you joining appreciate us for it, sure. Definitely check out Spencer. Um, man, your your scouting reports are probably most detailed reports I've seen as far as mm-hmm. when you're just like looking um, on websites when you're looking, you know, for player prospects and it's like, man, this is like, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to see blood type for these guys on here, man, this is crazy. But yeah, I, I, I love your scouting reports and uh, anyone that wants to learn about any player. Yeah. You're the guy, you're one of the guys to definitely follow. So no, it was, it was great having you on and I really appreciate the insight you gave us today. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely, uh, No problem at all. Uh, Edward, any final thoughts for you? Yeah, thanks to uh, thanks to Spencer for dropping by and uh, really like summing up and like, grasping this draft for us. And I agree with so many things that he said. Like uh, to me, I'm looking at this Patrick Williams pick as it, it, you shouldn't look at it as the franchise guy or he's going to be the guy going forward. Like this is the start of building the type of team that Carnishivus and Eversley want to do. So it's it's going to be brick by brick. But I. Like, I'm not overly enthused with the pick, but I'm encouraged by it, and I like it because I think we got a athletic, young, two-way player who's going to be really skilled and make sense for this league going forward. So, like, the, it, it was a different type of draft for sure, right? Like, it wasn't a the John yeah. Paxson, Gar Foreman type of drafts that we're used to. So, a little bit of a, yeah. a shock there because they took players that you wouldn't really expect them to take at, at that spot, but... I'm encouraged and I like it. So uh, let, let's see what happens. Yeah, for sure. You know, like I wasn't, he wasn't my first choice, but like I wasn't, you know, unhappy with the the pick. So mm. uh, I'm I'm looking forward to see how he develops. I definitely see the intangibles and the things that AK might've been enormed with. So we'll, we'll see how it comes about, but you know, that's a wrap for today's show. You know, please give us a follow on Twitter at bulls gold. You can follow Edward at Edward Shuler jr. And me at Jordan dynasty. Don't forget to tune in every Tuesday morning at AM on dash radios, uh, nothing but net station. And in addition, if you have any missed any previous shows, you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please subscribe on Apple Podcasts as you rate us a five to show us some love. Thank you again to Spencer Perlman for joining us today. And as always, for Edward Schuler and myself, thank you to all the listeners. Till next time, Bulls fans. 